0: How is your prayer life? Do you pray? I don't mean on uh, Sundays in church. I mean uh, at home or at work or as you go about your day. Do you live by praying? The reason I ask is because how we pray uh, says something about who we think Jesus is. It says something about whether or not we trust him. And it says something about what we think following him looks like. You see, if if following Jesus is easy, there's no need to pray. If Jesus is weak, there's no point praying. But if being a Christian is hard and Jesus is powerful, then prayer makes a lot of sense. In fact, it's necessary. And being a Christian is hard. Last time uh, we looked at Mark's Gospel, which was a year ago, uh, Jesus told his disciples that the way to life requires us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him to death. It's hard. And Jesus is powerful. He rose from the dead to take the throne at the right hand of his Father in heaven. So we should be praying Praying because in and of ourselves we're not strong enough to follow him and we need help. Praying because we know that he is unendingly strong and he will help us. Which is why some here love to pray all the time. But there are others here who will never really have prayed much at all. Or maybe you've, you've lost your way when it comes to prayer and you've ended up relying on your own strength to overcome evil. And follow Jesus. And if that's you, uh, you're a bit like the disciples in today's reading from Mark's Gospel. They came up against serious trouble and found they couldn't make any progress. And the reason why was they failed to pray. But the focus of this passage isn't them, it's Jesus. And what we see of Jesus in this passage has the potential to renew our faith and confidence in him so that we will persevere in prayer and the result will be that as we face our own struggles against the world, against sin, against the spiritual forces of evil, we will make progress because we will be relying not on ourselves but on our powerful and loving saviour. We're looking at Mark chapter 9. Uh, and it'd be great if you could have your Bibles open at that passage. Uh, If you've closed them, it's Mark chapter nine, page 1012. Uh, And this is the beginning of a new series of sermons on Mark's gospel. Last year, uh, during the summer last year, we looked at chapters one to eight of Mark. uh, And over the next few months, uh, we're gonna go from chapter nine through to chapter 13. But before we get going, I just want to recap a little bit of what we heard last year to bring us all up to speed. Mark chapters 1 to 8 was all about the question, who is Jesus? Who is he really? And it took all the way until chapter 8 for the disciples to realise that Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth turned teacher and miracle worker, is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. He asked his disciples in chapter 8 verse 29, who do you say I am? And Peter replied at long last, you are the Christ. So in one sense, by the end of that series, they'd finally come to understand. But in another sense, they actually barely understood at all. Because the popular expectation was that the Christ or Messiah means the same thing. Uh, that the Christ would become king in the capital, re-establish God's kingdom and make Jerusalem great again. Their expectations were largely focused on politics, religion and national security. But God's plan for Jesus would bring him far lower and lift him far higher than anyone had imagined. So as soon as Peter said, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus began to teach the disciples that he must suffer and be killed and then rise again. But Peter couldn't bear it because that sounded to him like failure. The Messiah can't die. But that was exactly what was going to happen. And it wouldn't be a failure. It'd be the greatest victory of all. And so to help Peter understand, Jesus took him with James and John on a long hike up a very high mountain. That's what we read about in today's passage. But while they're going up the mountain, not far away, a desperate father is strapping on his sandals and getting ready to take his son to see Jesus. Because his son is under the control of an unclean spirit that's trying to kill him. And Jesus is the only option he's got left. But when the man and his son reach the bottom of the mountain, Jesus isn't there. And they have to make do with nine of his disciples. And the disciples don't live up to expectations one little bit. But first, let's go up the mountain. It's a long way. They're hot. their knees are killing them and eventually Jesus stops and I guess Peter wants to ask him what are we doing here but before he opens his mouth something happens to take his breath away have a look down with me chapter 9 verse 2 after six days Jesus took Peter James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone there he was transfigured before them his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah with Moses who were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, both of whom had stood in the presence of God on Mount Sinai, both of whom God gave great authority to as his spokesman to Israel. But on this mountain, there is someone who far outranks them. Moses isn't shining, Elijah isn't shining, but Jesus looks like the sun. He dazzles like lightning. He's radiant and glorious. And the point is, Jesus isn't just the next in a long line of prophets. He's not just another leader or ruler for Israel. He's the final one the greatest of all, the one to whom every Old Testament prophet was pointing, the one in whom all God's promises would finally be fulfilled. And to make that clear, something terrifying happens. As the three disciples stand there, mouths hanging open, squinting their eyes to see Jesus in his glory, a cloud comes down on the mountain and covers them, It's the dark cloud of God's presence that cloaks his heavenly glory. And from the cloud, God himself speaks. Verse 7 This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah were God's servants, but Jesus is his son. And not just his son in an honorary sort of way like King David. No, Jesus is the Father's own beloved son. Jesus is different and greater than everyone else and you can tell by looking at him. Like on a royal occasion when people wear ceremonial clothing to show their rank and status. It's as if in the presence of God Jesus has put on his ceremonial clothing and revealed his true rank and status. He isn't just an ex-carpenter, a teacher, a miracle worker and healer. He is the son of heaven who outshines all, who stands in the presence of God and receives God's endorsement. So who is it that has called Peter and the disciples to trust him and follow him to the cross? Is it a messianic hopeful doomed to failure no it's God's own son whose true home is heaven but who came into our world his glory veiled in human flesh to save us by dying for us this has been the heavenly plan of father and son from eternity past that's why God's last words to the disciples are these listen to him God himself is endorsing Jesus' claim that the Messiah must suffer. So until we realise that his death was his victory, we we can't truly understand Jesus. And until we realise that suffering is the path to glory, we will not truly follow him. First comes the cross, then the crown, only if we suffer with him will we be glorified with him. Jesus has told the disciples he must die and they must follow. And God says, Listen to him. But as soon as God finished speaking, it was over. Verse 8 Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And Jesus heads off back down the mountain, back to normality. But on the way down, they have a strange conversation. We don't have a lot of time to unpack it in detail, but i will try and summarize it. The three disciples ask Jesus about Elijah. This is verse 11. They want to know why the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first, which is what it says in Malachi chapter four. And by first, they mean uh, before the kingdom can be restored. Right, so I think what they're getting at is, since it turns out Jesus is the Messiah and glorious Son of God right here, right now, haven't we kind of bypassed the step where Elijah's supposed to come? So why do they say he's got to come? Aren't we already at the point where Jesus makes Jerusalem great again? And Jesus basically says, No. On the one hand he tells them Elijah has come, that was actually John the Baptist. But on the other, they did what they wanted to him. He got beheaded. And so he asked them a question. Why do the scriptures also say the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? See, over and over again, one simple point from Jesus. This is going to get worse before it gets better. That's what they need to understand. Cross before crown, suffering before glory. And the reality for every follower of Jesus, all of us, is the same Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. But it's doable because we know that suffering isn't evidence that God doesn't love us because Jesus suffered and he's beloved of God for all time. Suffering isn't a sign we're getting something wrong. Jesus suffered, he never sinned. Suffering in various ways is in fact what happens to those who obediently follow Jesus like he obediently followed his father. Suffering comes if we follow in his footsteps. But we're following in the footsteps of the glorious Son of God who's passed through suffering into glory. And so he's willing and able to help us as we make the same journey. We just need to depend on him. We need to put our life in his hands, always. We need to face every situation by trusting, not ourselves in our weakness, but him in his power. And we do that by praying. Praying to Jesus every step of the way, which turns out to be exactly not what the disciples down the mountain were doing. Have a look with me at chapter 9, verse 14. Jesus and the disciples reach the the final slope down to level ground, and there they see the other nine disciples, a large crowd, and a little group of scribes or teachers of the law who are stirring up an argument. Don't know exactly what the argument was about, but a good guess would be an argument about whether Jesus is really all that special at all. And the evidence that Jesus isn't special is that his disciples have failed to cast the demon from the desperate father's son. So what a time for the real Jesus to arrive He asks what the argument's about, and immediately the father comes to him and says, Verse 17, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Isn't it a desperate situation? The father and son are struggling. The disciples are weak and powerless. The teachers of the law are gloating and dismissive. And the whole thing just causes Jesus to cry out, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And like we've seen before, as the spirit is brought before Jesus, it rages and struggles. It knows who Jesus is. And it throws the boy into a convulsion. He falls and starts rolling around, foaming at the mouth. Terrifying to see. Now, some people have pointed out that this looks rather like the boy actually had epilepsy, not an evil spirit. I think it's very clear that an evil spirit is at work here. Possibly the boy may also have had epilepsy, in which case, it looks like the evil spirit knows how to exploit that to maximum effect. And the father tells Jesus it's been like this since the boy was only small. Verse 22, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Well, after what we've seen up the mountain, is there any doubt? If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Of course it is we've just seen him up the mountain there's no power on earth that outranks him and so the father responds with this famous prayer I do believe help me overcome my unbelief and that's a prayer we all need to pray sometimes I know that in principle I know that Jesus can do all things but if I really believed that I'd be praying to him a lot more so do I really believe he can do all things well yeah I do believe but Also, Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to trust you every step of the way. And as soon as the man expresses his struggling faith in Jesus, Jesus turns to the evil spirit and says, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And immediately the spirit violently convulses the boy as he tears himself out of his body and the boy is left almost dead on the ground but Jesus takes him by the hand and helps him up. Evil can never get the better of Jesus. If he dies, it'll be because he must and he chooses to. And that means he's not weak, he is strong. So when we come up against evil like the disciples did, whether supernatural evil, the pressures of the godless world in which we live, the strength of our own sinful inclinations or a constant stream of things going wrong, unexpected bills, constantly getting ill, rocky mental health. Whenever we come up against all these evils, we can and we must depend on Jesus. Just have a look at what he says in verse 28. It says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive that spirit out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. What didn't the disciples do? They didn't pray. Up the mountain, Jesus was shining in glory. Down the mountain, they were trying to act on his behalf, but they didn't think to call on him. Either they thought they were stronger than they really were, Or they thought Jesus Jesus was weaker than he really is. Either way, they failed to depend on him. And yet when he came, he showed just what he's capable of. Without Jesus, nothing can be done. With Jesus, nothing is impossible. And so, to conclude, the lesson for us is this. We're fools If we think following Jesus is going to be easy, we're fools if we think evil isn't powerful, and we're fools if, therefore, we don't rely on Him. He is God's glorious and beloved Son. Up the mountain, we caught a glimpse of His true power, and it's that power, that glory, we call on whenever we pray to Him. So, How's your prayer life? Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, we call on your name. Be with us amidst all our struggles. We've seen you this morning in your glory. Fix our eyes on you. So that as we walk the way of the cross, as we endure the struggles of this life, As we deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow you, help us, empower us, strengthen us in the face of evils and struggles so that we might be faithful to you, not trusting in our own strength, but relying on you in your glory and your power, knowing that just as your Father loves you, so you love us. And we pray in your name. Amen.